Hello, my friends. This is the podcast that brings a wealth of knowledge, expertise, and fun of Twins Smoke Shop, New England's premier smoke shop, right to you, wherever you are, whenever you want it. And that's Not Just Blowing Smoke. You can find us at our website, notjustblowingsmoke.com, and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Not Just Blowing Smoke. All right, hello everybody, and welcome to Not Just Blowing Smoke, coming at you live from Twin Smoke Shop Studio headquarters in Hooksett, New Hampshire. Be sure to subscribe to us on Podbean, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, and iTunes, or Google, wherever you find this podcast from. If you're listening to us live as we stream on Facebook and YouTube, make sure that you hit the subscribe button there so that you don't ever miss a thing. I'm Pastor Padrone. I'm here with my co-hosts, Pat and Dave, and we have with us Brian Matola from Cavalier Genevieve Cigars, Skyping in from Miami, Florida. How you doing tonight? What? Great. Thanks for having me, fellas. Appreciate it. It's great to have you on. Where Where are you right now? I'm in Miami. I'm actually heading to my last shop of the day. I'll be parked in about three minutes. And uh, I'm heading to Honduras tomorrow to the factory. Really? It, it, yeah. It, it, is this just a regular trip, or did something go wrong and you're going down to fix it? <laughs> no, it's a it's a regular trip. Actually, we're um, we're heading to Dortmund, uh, Germany, in right. the middle of September. So I have to go down, pick up some samples that we're bringing over there for some international clients. And um, so, you know, I drew the short straw, and I have to go to Honduras. You know, uh, <laughs> tough. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's really become home for me you know it's mm-hmm. it's an amazing place the people are amazing and uh it's just yeah it's become home what do you like about it you know i all right i'll tell you a little quick story about our factory we opened our factory last year in January and we used to open the factory at seven o'clock in the morning okay. and the guy who would come to open the factory would call me up and say, well, there's people sitting outside already. Can we open at six 30? I said, sure. So then when he would come at six 30, there's people sitting outside waiting to come in. So he's like, can we open at six? I'm like, sure. <laughs> then he calls me again. I go, okay, 5.30. That's it. That's the earliest that we can open. But people just really love what they do. You know, they craft out a passion down there. Uh, people that work in the factories take so much pride in what they do that you can't you can't help but to fall in love with the place, you know? Oh, that's really cool. Um, before we get any more into discussion here, we're, we're smoking the uh... – uh, Cavalier White Series Toro tonight. You want to talk to us about what's in this cigar? So the White Series is a really interesting uh, cigar because it's a Habano wrapper that utilizes a Connecticut binder. So a lot of people 
go, oh, my God, I smoked your Connecticut, and I love it, because it is a lighter Habano wrapper, too. Um, and that Connecticut binder just does a little something to the blend. And then you have some uh, Nicaraguan and Honduran fillers. Mm. Um, although we're based in Honduras, we do use tobacco from, you know, a lot of Nicaraguan tobacco, too. Okay. All right, and it's a uh, six by fifty-two Toro that we're doing tonight, and we ourselves are pairing it with uh, the seven twenty-four barrel select uh, Corazon tequila, and that's a, uh, a particular type of Corazon, a single barrel from them that you can only get at the uh, lounge at uh, Twin Smoke Shop in Londonderry. Um, now you're not because you're a you're driving. And B, you don't drink, right? Am I remembering? I right? don't drink. But I don't drink. You're absolutely right. But what I pair the white series with is really interesting. And when I first told Sebastian, he's like, "You've lost your mind." But then he <laughs> tried it. Um, I I get black tea with a little bit of uh, peach flavoring. Um, so black tea and peach, because you have to be creative when you don't drink, right? Yeah, that's yeah. the hardest thing is people are always asking me like, what do you pair with this? What do you pair with that? And it's like, well, I don't drink. So I have to explore like milkshakes are my thing. You know, like I, <laughs> I pair with, um, you know, milkshakes. I do a lot of flavored teas and you just have to get creative when you're a non-drinker. Mm -hmm. Do you prefer tea over coffee? Yeah, I don't drink coffee. The only time I drink coffee is when I'm down in Miami with the Cubans. <laughs> <laughs> Do they not have tea down there? Is that basically it? <laughs> well, you know, it's really interesting because Cuban coffee is an anomaly unto itself. It's mm -hmm. Colombian coffee made in an Italian machine with a lot of sugar, and then it becomes Cuban coffee somehow. So I'm like, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> have you f i know you're a big milkshake fan i think the last time we had you on the show um you're you were with illusione at the time and uh not in miami uh if i remember right have you found a new favorite milkshake shop out in miami where you are now you know what i i haven't um <laughs> You know, the, my favorite milkshake shop is actually on the way to Idaho. Mm. Um, it's it's really interesting that there, there's a little shop in a place called Jordan Valley, Oregon. And you ha you just, you know, you just if you blink, you pass it. But they have a Huckleberry milkshake that is just to die for. I mean, amazing. Now, what is a Huckleberry milkshake? So a huckleberry is a wild blueberry. Okay. Um, and if you're in the Pacific Northwest and you're, you, you know, you're pretty much huckleberries, the staple. I had a buddy of mine. I told him about huckleberries. We were taking a trip to Wyoming and he's like, oh, the hell with huckleberries. I don't want to eat that crap. So we stopped in the first gas station in Wyoming and they had huckleberry ice cream sandwiches. And so I bought him one. I'm like, here, just try it. The whole rest of the trip, he's asking people, do you have anything with Huckleberry? What do you have with Huckleberry? <laughs> we had, like, chicken wings with Huckleberry barbecue sauce. We had beef tenderloin with a Huckleberry glaze. I mean, it was Huckleberry cheesecake. Everything was Huckleberries. 
they're they're really amazing. Uh, I got fond of those when I lived in Montana. Mm. Um, guys, what are you picking up on the uh, the white tour right now? Really smooth, really creamy. It's got a a really good uh, earthy, leathery, very mild. A little little bit of spice in the retro hail. Yeah. Yep. Pat. The um the palate's picking up like a floral kind of sweetness to it, a little bit of mm-hmm. clove, and then like a creamy texture. And then the retro kind of enhances that kind of floral sweetness. It has a little bit of leather, some like bit of espresso, not the bad bitter, but like just like a nice dark yeah. kind of espresso. It's like very like savory. And it's the the construction's so far really, really good. It has like one of those like tighter draws. Like, not the bad kind of type, but it's kind of pacing you throughout the cigar. I have a nice even burn on it. Mm-hmm. Good amount of smoke output. Yep. Yeah, and the burn line's great, too. Um, very, very nice. Um, Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the Cavalier story? You know, I know they've been around for a while, but they kind of started overseas and then came to the States, right? They kind of did yeah. things a little bit backwards. As yeah, they as... did. So Sebastian, the founder of Cavalier, he's a, a 30-year-old kid. Uh, so he represents, for me, the future of cigar man, uh, blenders, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I see in him. You know, um, he's, he's a little bit younger than I am, just a little bit. And um, he started the company in Geneva, Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting story. So he he's living in Geneva decides that um he wants to get into the cigar business uh because his family owned the oldest cigar shop in geneva switzerland it started in like 1905 um but he didn't want to work in the retail anymore he wanted to get into the manufacturing side of things and, and have a cigar brand so he just picks up goes down to uh dan lee honduras and he's sitting in the central park and um a guy walks up to him and says, what are you doing here? And he says, well, I, I want to see um, <laughs> cigar factories. So the guy says, come with me. So he gets in the car with him. Now, that he was 22 years old. Thank God, because I think, like, that's a huge risk, right, mm-hmm. in a country like Honduras, just to get in a car with a guy who you don't know. I mean, it's risky here in Miami. I wouldn't <laughs> do it here in Miami. And so the guy takes him over to a factory and it turns out to be uh, one of the Placentias. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, just talk about being in the right place at the right time, you know? Yeah. Well, and, right and, uh, <laughs> right, yeah. Right. So the family, the he sat st- <laughs> at the factory and still doesn't know where he is, right? He didn't notice the name on the front of it. Right. And they're like, well, you can stay here and you can work with us. So he ended up working there for about a year and a half, two years in the factory, you know, from everything from putting cello to rolling cigars to putting bands on it, which, by the way, putting cigars in cello is the hardest job in the factory. Um, mm. And uh, so what's really interesting, fast forward now, he he starts the brand. I meet him. We become really good friends. I'm driving down the road one day and he calls me up and he says, I'm thinking about opening up a factory in Honduras. I said, I'm in, let's go. And, uh, he says to me, well, I was kind of asking your opinion. (laughs) And I said to him, 
I just gave you my opinion, you know, let's go. <laughs> uh, I'm in it, you know, because what happens with the smaller boutique brands is that most of them are dependent on a third party uh, factory to make their stuff. You Correct. don't really control your, 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 your brand if you don't have a factory. And one of the things that's dangerous about opening a factory without having farms or anything is you got to have access to tobacco, but the sure. relationship with the Placencia family is so solid from the year, eight years prior of him being there. And they've been great to us. I mean, they're fantastic partners to have. And um, so we opened the factory about 20 months ago and I'm still with Illusion at the time, but then it becomes a full-time real business right mm -hmm. we have 100 people down there we have 22 pairs so all of a sudden the little factory became a real business and i couldn't really focus on it and the whole time sebastian's asking me like i need to hire somebody to help me i need somebody to come in with me i need a partner and so i'm i'm advising him which the white in my beard allows me to do <laughs> and, and um I, I tell them, you know, bring somebody in who's emotionally attached to the brand. So after about a year of this, he says, well, aren't you that person? <laughs> I say, God damn it. I hate when 30 year old kids are right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I became a partner in the brand and the factory and we're just having a blast. We're having the time of my life, our lives. I'm actually smoking our new release from the trade show, the inner circle. Mm. It's become my, my new favorite of the line. Um, it's got a Habano with a Habano binder and then two broadleafs in the filler. It's really a different smoke. I know you guys are smoking white Toros, but I just couldn't help myself. <laughs> um, I, I couldn't I, I was like what am I going to smoke with you all and then I I, I just saw this and uh, it's the torpedo the figurado so I'm mm -hmm. I'm in love with that size and and the other thing I like to do too is I smoke things in different places so I just smoked one of these in Colorado at the Rocky Mountain mm -hmm. uh, cigar fest and so I wanted to smoke it here and cigars do taste different everywhere you go it's amazing really the, the, the uh uh elevation or sea level or or relative humidity, humidity that all affects the, how the cigar tastes and everything it really does like in denver it tasted totally different than it does here well, and i'm like it, wow how this is, it is different? really interesting um so up in the higher elevation um, it was, you know, not really humid up there. So it was a little drier in Colorado, actually much drier than Florida. So, and I like my cigars a little bit drier cause I lived in Reno for a while in the desert. So, you know, you get used to dry cigars where, as opposed to here, it's a little bit more wet, a little bit more humid. Little bit. And so <laughs> it changes, it just changes the, yeah, just a little bit. Um, it changes the whole dynamic of the cigar. Like it's richer tasting for me up mm. in the mountains. It, it's a deeper, richer taste where here I get, I get some of that depth of flavor, but I get different things too, you know?
So it's, it's, it's amazing. It, I do it. Sometimes I smoke them in Honduras. Then if I'm traveling somewhere, I'll smoke it again. And if I end up back here in Miami, I smoke it again. And I get three different experiences from the cigar. That's really, that's really interesting. I haven't thought a whole lot about how um, different places with their own um, to for lack of a better term weather you know and climate affects how the cigar performs and you're you're telling me that makes a a fairly significant difference at least for you oh it really does i mean i used to notice it when i would travel from reno to florida mm-hmm. i would i would smoke my cigar my first impression when i got like the first day I was here, that was fine, but it would happen like overnight, like the cigars, you know, would adjust to the climate and, the, you know, being at sea level and being very humid, it would happen like overnight. And the next morning I'd be smoking a cigar like it's it at first I was like, well, this is off. And then I'd light up another one. But then I realized that they had just changed from the the climate i guess that you're in and the elevation and all that and um my first impression was well it's off but it's not it's just different Mm. so can i ask a couple questions yeah please so what is the motive behind calling the brand cavalier so cavalier translates to horseman right and so if you look at your band you'll see that logo and that logo is really near and dear to us because that was designed by a friend of ours in in dan lee honduras it was written on a napkin a bar a bar napkin right which most great ideas happen that way (laughs) and the artist um who wrote that has since died in a car crash very tragically so um we're really glad that we did pay homage to him as well as you know the name of the cigars but they they designed the logo first which was you know the man with the horse and then the name cavalier came later and what is the significance of putting the gold foil on the cigars ah so that's really interesting so Sebastian or I cannot take credit for that. That's actually Sebastian's wife, right? So she's the brains behind the operation. So the gold, when the brand first started, uh, like every brand, they have to evolve, right? If you don't evolve, you're kind of dead. Nobody passed the dinosaur on the way to work today. Um, If you don't evolve, you're dead. So when the brand first started, there were gold diamonds on the boxes and then Sebastian's wife was brought in, who's a creative person. And she said, you know, the boxes need to be, they need to change. But we can't lose the identity of the gold diamond. And when she first said it to Sebastian, we're going to put gold diamonds on the cigar. Sebastian was like, you're out of your mind. We're not doing it. But then he thought about it a little bit. And it's a really cool, unique way to identify yourself in a humidor because as you guys know from the shop, somebody comes in, you suggest a cigar, and they go, I love that cigar you suggested for me. It had a red band on it. Well, Jesus Christ, you know, <laughs> help me out a little bit here. Fair enough. You know? Yeah. yeah. Or it had the, the blue band. So the gold <laughs> diamond is just kind of a way to 
uh, remember where the brand was from a marketing standpoint, and then also a way to just differentiate it. Because if you come into somebody comes back and says, "Hey, that cigar with with the gold diamond was really good," you know it's the Cavalier, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, there's no doubt about it at all in your mind. You know exactly what they're smoking, and it's really interesting because we were just at Rocky Mountain, and people would see the name Cavalier and they'd go well, I've never had one. And then come on over to the table and they'd look and they go, oh, the one with the gold diamond. Yeah, I've smoked that. I've smoked your white, your black, your Viso Jalapa. And so it's it's really powerful in that nature. And then my last question is just looking at the band, it might just be just the way it's printed on the band, but is the guy, does he have no arms or is that just because of the embossment? No, he, <laughs> he has arms, but it's kind of just a... <laughs> A sketch that was drawn on a bar napkin, and they left it just how it was. <laughs> They're just down at his side, Pat. You just, you just can't see. Well, no, that, that's what I thought. I know there's going to be like some cool story behind it. You know, I don't know. He's actually Figured one of the Veggie Tail characters. You know, no arms. You know. Thought. <laughs> what's What's really interesting about the gold is, um, <clears throat> the gold is actually cut by hand comes in three inch by three inch uh squares and a girl there's two girls at our factory that put a template on there and cut them by hand Mm. and and this is edible gold it's 24 carat food grade gold same thing you would find like in soups sushis and desserts and all that and gold burns at 1948 degrees Fahrenheit. So it doesn't burn when you're smoking your cigar. If you if you get your ash positioned just properly and it burns straight through, you'll have the gold diamond on your ash. It doesn't burn. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell people if you get the gold to burn, you're going to look really funny without lips. Because <laughs> if, if you get your cigar to 1948 degrees Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. you're going to... You're going to burn yourself. That's, um, that's hotter than a torch. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, and, and people have fun with it. They try to smoke all the way through the gold. And, you know, we're known for our hashtags, uh, smoke gold, stay gold. Right. And, um, it's, it's, you know, look, it's, it's like everything in a business you try to, figure out a way to differentiate yourselves from everybody else. And mm-hmm. everybody knows the gold diamonds. It's pretty sweet. Um, have you guys tried the uh, cigar with the tequila? Do you have any uh, um, idea about the pairing that we're having here? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking it, it, it goes fairly well with it. I've actually just been focusing on the cigar. I actually like it a lot. Yeah, the cigar has been very, very good. Mm-hmm. And Pat had a great ash go in there for a while. It was about an inch and a half long. Yeah, the tequila brings out more of that kind of cloveness to it. Mm-hmm. It kind of puts the, the floral kind of sweetness back. But then on the finish, I'm getting kind of like a subtle kind of honey note to it because of the mm-hmm. tequila. And then it's um can see that. kind of taking that kind of like white spice you get. It kind of makes it more of like a... I don't want to say like a baking spice, but it's more of a robust white pepper. Like it's more yeah. pronounced. Yeah. Especially in the retro. Is that what you... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, then it kind of good. spits like in the back of the throat too on the finish. 
Yeah, you get, it, it really kind of makes the finish of the cigar kind of extend. Very, very good. So you're at the cigar shop now. Are you getting all sorts of funny looks with you sitting in the car, in the dark, on the phone? Oh, <laughs> not, the first, not the first time I've done this. <laughs> I have one more question. Yeah, sure. So Time's up. you said 22 months ago, or like around 20 months ago, the brand launched. Was there any adversity launching a, a brand within like the big boom that we've been in? Um, so actually, we didn't launch the brand. We opened the factory uh, 20, 20 months ago. And uh, um, so the brand launched in the U.S. about three years ago. Uh, it was international for about three years prior, so six years total. But opening a factory in the cigar boom was really interesting because um, people were like, how did you know? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'd rather be lucky than good anytime, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, so... What's really interesting, though, is to see uh, how the demand hasn't changed this year at all for for us. I mean, we're just we're on a a really good trajectory. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my mother thought I got dropped on my head when I was a baby. I'm like, you should have known that because she's like, you're building a factory during COVID. What's wrong with you? Did I drop you on your head when you were a kid? And I'm like, oh, mom, stop. You know, on the on 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 every side of every valley is another peak. And that's kind of what we saw in the cigar industry last mm. year. But it was a, it's a little nerve wracking for, you know, a brand our size, which is bigger internationally at the moment. We're growing in the U.S. Um, we sold out of all our product by two o'clock in the afternoon at that Rocky Mountain. Um, so there's there's you know, the, the name is getting out there. People are starting to to realize the quality product that that young man is making. And I'm really proud of him. What do you like most? What what attracted you to to work with them? Um, Sebastian, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so when I met Sebastian, I met him at a uh, multi vendor event in Virginia, and he was a kid that I I just really just grew attached to instantly. He's such a likable, such a humble young man. And, um, you know, my history, my past, I lost a child many, many years ago. He would have been 30 years old today. So I kind of looked at it as what the world took away from me. They're giving back to me now in Sebastian. And it's amazing how things work. I mean, Mm. you know, I don't care what your belief system is. If you don't believe that there's a higher power at work there, um, I'm here to tell you there is because, you know, what the world took from me, gave me back in Sebastian. And I saw that right away. I'm like, wow, this kid's amazing. Um, you know, if my two boys who are 28 and 22 now, uh, turn out just like this young man, I'll be really proud, you know, cause he's a great kid, very humble, very creative. Um, and we work really well together because, you know, like I said, I have a little bit of white in my beard and I get to advise him from that standpoint. Mm. Um, what was what was the PCA like for you this year? The Rocky Mountain oh, Festival, was, you said, was great. How was how was the big PCA show? PCA was amazing. We were we were slammed from the minute the doors open until the minute the show end. It was amazing. 
um we needed a bigger booth we needed more <laughs> people but you know those are great problems to have mm-hmm. um pca was really really good for us um you know uh, we're we're going to the Big Smoke in November. Okay. We got invited by Cigar Aficionado. Nice. Uh, we got our first rating in Cigar Aficionado. Our Viso Jalapa got a 90, which, you know, again, I'm super proud of Sebastian. That's amazing work mm-hmm. uh, for a brand that, for a brand that you know can't afford to advertise. That's an amazing rating. Um, it's probably and, uh, it's honest. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, it's it's really an honor that they came by the booth at PCA and said, "Hey, would you guys participate in uh, Big Smoke?" And I thought, "Wow, that's really cool." Yeah, we'll that's we'll be awesome. there. So PCA was good. Um, TPE was really good. Um, we're just having a great time. I mean, we 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 need to build out the portfolio now to kind of sustain the growth that we're getting. Um, so we'll have a new uh, line coming out in in February at the TPE. Um, three three sizes, three different wrappers, um, and we're gonna have a lot of fun with it. So, do you have a favorite uh, trade show? Um, you know, I mean, like for me, I don't know if Rocky Mountain counts as a trade show, but I really enjoy that only because of how well organized it is. I mean, there's 2000 people that show up, maybe 2500 and it doesn't feel like it. It's so organized. It's Mm. so well put on. Um, But I really like the one in Germany, too. Dortmund Mm. is really interesting. Um it's PCA in nature, but there's more relationship building and more time spent with people where PCA is kind of hustle bustle, right? Right. You'll spend 10 minutes with somebody and they're like, I got to go to my next meeting where at Dortmund, you'll sit with somebody for an hour, hour and a half. And you see less people over the course of the weekend, but it's more quality visits. And I like that. Do you think that's a difference between the European and American cultures and how they do business? Oh, 100%. Um, Dortmund's not a transactional show at all, by no means. I mean, you do the business before and after. During, it's more about, you know, um, furthering the relationship that you have Mm. with your distributors or, or whoever you're doing business with over there. Um, and for me, that's really, really, really amazing. Is that something you would love to see shows in the States pick up more on? I've, um, I've talked to Scott Pierce about it. In fact, I ran, uh, to get on the board. I didn't, I mi- barely missed it by like two votes. Um, cause I really felt passionate about it. It's funny that you asked me that. Mm. I really feel passionate about that, that, it should be more about relationship building than transactional transactions can happen at any time. Right. Sure. Um, that's the, that's the least of what we do in this industry is the transactional part of it. It's building relationships. It's doing things like this with you guys. It's getting people to know your story and, and how, you know, who's behind the brand and, 
and how, you know, the messaging of the brand and what we're doing, where we're going. And so I, I've talked to Scott Pierce at PCA about that numerous, numerous times. Like, this is what we need to adopt. Um, and I really wanted to be on the board. And I'll, I'll run again the next time a, a seat comes open. Mm. I just, I'm just not a politician, right? I didn't yeah. pick up the phone and call anybody and say, hey, I'm running for the board or whatever. I just kind of let it happen, which my my roommate's very angry at me. He's, he owns this shop and he's like, you should have called people. You were three votes away. I wanted you on that board. <laughs> All right. Well, but we have a great relationship with Scott Pierce. He actually showed up at Rocky mountain and uh, we spent a little time with him uh, chatting since we sold out of our product by two o'clock in the afternoon and the show lasted till five. Um, we had about three hours to sit around and do nothing. Um, so we we took full advantage of it. We met with Scott, and I, every time I see him, I share my vision for what I think PCA should look like. That's cool. Well, I'm I'm glad he's he's listening to you. Maybe we'll see some of that happen. I'm a big believer. At, you know, you do the relationships, and everything else happens mm-hmm. well, kind of organically. Yeah. You know. And so a hundred percent, you know, it's, you know, you, if you focus on the transactional stuff, you know, and, and we're, we're, we've talked about it on the show before, you know, when we're doing events at, at twins, we're trying much more to go for experiential type of events that people want to attend and don't want to miss. And when you do stuff like that and you do it well, the retail naturally follows from that you know and and we've been finding that that actually is it's it's more fun for us and it actually ends up bringing in more sales because you're not focused on hey uh do this and and we'll give you a lighter do this and we'll give you a free cigar do this and we'll get you'll get a hat i couldn't agree more there's no bigger waste of time than standing in a shop hey what do you smoke um, not to pick on anybody, but the guy comes in, I smoke Cuba Cuba. Oh, here, try this uh, Cavalier White series. I mean, that's just a waste of time. You know, it's like, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I have a question. I wish more people would adopt that. So I just one of my final questions would be so <laughs> he has a lot of final questions. So, you know, so, just be, be ready. His so next ca- question. In our shop, Cavalier is a fairly new brand. What advice would you give a retailer that just obtained the product and getting somebody on it? Like, what would a selling point be? What makes it unique? So the first thing you have to do as as when we introduce it is is everybody has to smoke it, um, and then the uniqueness of Cavalier comes with how we approach tobacco, what we what we use. Um, for example, like the Connecticut binder with the Habano wrapper, very interesting combination, not something you see a whole lot of being done. Um, you know, and then how we approach the tobacco side of things. We're partnered with the Placencia family. A lot of our tobacco comes from them. Um, and we're a tobacco first company. Um, what does that mean? With so we so what that means is 
is when we're creating a new item, we don't design the marketing plan, what the box is going to look like, what the band's going to look like. We start with a particular tobacco, like for example, the one that I'm smoking. This started around two broadleaf fillers, and then we built around that to create a, a new line for us. Um, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying about being tobacco first, and that's generally a trait of the boutique brands, right? The bigger, the biggest differentiator between a big brand and a boutique brand is we tend to be a little bit more tobacco centric, a little bit more geeky. Not that the other brands don't do uh, cigars really well. I'm not saying that at all, but a lot of times it's done in reverse where they create the marketing plan, what the box is going to look like, what the band is going to look like. And then, Oh shit, we got to put something in the box kind of a thing <laughs> where, 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 where we're just the opposite. We're, wow, look at this. This is really cool. We found these two tobaccos. And now the story goes even further and we can get access to it, right? Because tobacco supplies are really, really tight right now. Right. Really, really tight. So when we found these two broadleaves, we were like, let's build a cigar around it. And then that's a really fun process, you know, mm. and uh, getting to sit with Sebastian and watch the process take place. Um, is fascinating so that's really the differentiator is how we approach what we're making it's all around the tobacco and then we have we one thing we know about most of our cigars is they're going to have the gold diamond on them yep. um the inner circle does not have the gold diamond it's a new line for us that's going to kind of take a life of its own we have a second release plan for that out in the future uh, um and so everything kind of sits under the Cavalier umbrella, but we have differentiated our, our line, our lines. So the right side of the page was full or the left side was full. Now we're filling up the, the other side with the inner circle. So um, really the story is, is, is Sebastian and how he's a 30 year old kid, just having a great time with tobacco and that the guys, the two guys behind the brand, him and I, and his wife, three, two guys and a gal, um, we know what our, what our job is. It's to make great cigars. And then it's also to create awareness of, of the brand. And so I've heard people say it's one of the hotter brands right now coming out of Honduras. And I'm, that's a very humbling statement to hear. And I, I'm grateful for, for, for hearing that. We heard that at Rocky Mountain quite a bit. Mm. So what is it actually you do for Cavalier? So I'm partners in the factory. I'm also a partner in the brand, but I took over U.S. and international sales um, leadership position because there really wasn't. It was Sebastian and his wife, and they were going and doing things as best they could. They really needed to add somebody. And so I've assumed the leadership role of sales um, we have a great broker team. You guys actually have one of the best brokers in the business, Nick Goss, Nick a Goss. cigar brand all to itself. <laughs> um, you know, and no, he's an amazing individual. And so I've managed in the short time that I've been in the industry. Now I'm going on six years. Um, neither one of us, Sebastian or I, were born into tobacco. So 
uh, that's kind of a cool thing too, because we're, mm. you know, we're not industry people. We're, um, you know, just having a really good time within this industry. But he really needed somebody that had relationships with the brokers um, that wasn't just taking a job that was emotionally attached to his brand. Mm. And I really, um, that was me. He was really right. And I couldn't argue it. And so, so that's what I do. I have the, the sales leadership position in the U S and international. And then, um, I'm also partners in the factory, which is really the most fun that I have is when I get to deal with the factory. So I'm really looking forward to going tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure what's, what's been, uh, um, the biggest challenge that you have right now leading both national and international sales. So the biggest challenge that we have, believe it or not, is there's a shift in the international markets. Um, Cuban supplies are drying up and um, they also, I don't know if you saw the press release, but they just, I think tripled the price of Cuban. So Mm -hmm. The rest of the world is now looking really hard for what they call new world options, you know, non-Cuban options. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing more and more demand grow internationally. We sell in 31 countries and we're seeing um, order volume pick up in the international markets due to the lack of Cuban offerings. People are, you know, who's going to pay you know, three times for a Cuban cigar where, you know, nine out of 10 times they don't draw, (laughs) they're not constructed well. I mean, you can put up with that at, you know, 30 bucks a stick, but at 90, I I just, I don't know. So we're seeing that shift. So that's a challenge because the U.S. market is still in this boom that we created out of COVID and tobacco Mm -hmm. supplies are really, really tight. Um, availability of raw materials is is become um, something you lose sleep over. Um, you know, like one of the things I dread about tomorrow is meeting with my factory manager so he can tell me how little raw materials there are out there. And, you know, we always find a solution because of our partnership with the Placencia family, but at the same time, it's a little bit stressful when you're getting pressure now from the international markets um, to up your supply and you've got a raw material issue. Everybody does. Mm. Um, I have have one more. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pretty big topic in the industry right now with like Cubans going up in price internationally. So, Mm. How do you think that's going to impact the American market? Because I know there's going to be a lot of companies that might try to capitalize on the Cuban increase. So what is that going to look like in the States? Yeah, that's a great question, right? Um, I think, you know, yeah, I think it's going to just continue to put pressure on the manufacturers and something's got to give one way or the other. Either we need you know, to create new uh, growing fields or whatever, because there's only a finite number of fields that grow tobacco. There's a lot of them. Um, But when you see the demand increase um, the way it has post-COVID, 
and then you throw on top of that um, the international markets and the Cubans, like you said, becoming scarce too, right? It's not even a matter of the price. It's just quantity. Most of the Cuban cigars now that China owns 51% of it is going to China. So that leaves a lot of open area and it's just going to continue to put pressure on manufacturers. Um, It's a balancing act, right? Like you, you have to tell people internationally that maybe didn't support your brand that now want to, they're going to have to wait, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'd love to supply you, but you're going to have to wait because I have to take care of the U.S. market. I have to take care of the other 31 distributors that have been with me for years. I know you want to carry the the product, but you're going to have to wait until I can see my way clear. And I think if companies navigate things that way, we'll be okay. But it's when you try to be everything to everybody that you end up being nothing to nobody, you know? So yeah. Yeah, no, that's very important. Do you think that new age cigar is going to do a price increase to kind of make the international market more profitable since that demand is going to be there? So, yeah, I think, you know, provided people don't uh, try to capture market share by racing to the floor, I think it could be a, a very good viable market. I mean, you know, the, the international market comes with challenges in tax structure, right? like a lot of international tax structures are based on weight. So a lot of your smaller format cigars um, are more inexpensive only because of the weight of the cigar and the rate at which they're taxed. Um, You know, a big heavy uh, 660 is very expensive because of the the weight of it. Um, So I I just think it's going to be really interesting. I think you know, we're, we're going to have a little bit of a pullback on the boom here in the U.S. It's just been incredible. It's been an incredible run. It has to plateau at some point. But we have added a lot of new smokers uh, to the industry, which is great, you know. And, and the other thing that's happening, too, which I see especially here in Florida, is there's a lot more women entering this space, which changes the whole dynamic of the business for the the better right take for example you know i'm a single guy i have a girlfriend she's at home i'll say honey i'm gonna run down to the shop and smoke a cigar so i'm there what an hour and a half and then i gotta go and, and go spend time with my girlfriend now she comes to the shop with me she's smoking so rather than sell me one cigar you just sold me two and then we stay for three four hours and we have two more cigars each now you've just sold four cigars versus one in that trip to the shop. So that's, we're seeing an increase in that type of uh, behaviors and, 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 and purchasing habits. That's very cool. Do you um, think that, um, sorry, this is the last thing, the official last <laughs> uh-huh. question I'll ask. Wrong. Do you think that the companies trying to capitalize on the international market might adversely increase the prices in the States? Well, I think, you know, everything has become more expensive, right? Like we, we just took a, a price increase on boxes, mm-hmm. something you don't think about really, right? Like boxes, but it, it was significant. The price of raw materials has gone up. I mean, filler leaf used to be very inexpensive. Now 
filler leaf, you're paying the same price you used to pay for binder and binder. You're paying the same price you used to for wrapper leaves and then wrapper leaves are off in a world of their own right now. So I think you're going to see some price increases only because of, you know, the raw materials are much more expensive. Boxes have become more expensive. Bands have become more, I mean, just everything in the world has become more expensive. I mean, God, don't even talk to me about airlines. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, I used to fly Miami to Honduras for $220. It topped out this summer at $1,200. It's a two and a half hour flight. Jeez. I mean, are you kidding me? That's, That's crazy. Oh, wow. Um, we're coming up on the uh, first half of the show. Pat may have more questions in the second half. Do you, do you want to hang around or do you need to go into oh, the shop? Absolutely. And, and Pat, don't feel bad about asking questions. I love your questions. They're amazing, man. And, and I wish I had a nickel for every time you said last uh, question, because <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be about 50 cents richer right now. It'd be amazing. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we'll be switching over to pipes, but we'll still be talking to uh, Brian about uh, uh, the Cavalier cigars and his experience there. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back in about three minutes. Thanks for hanging in with us and everything. We are still talking with Brian Matola of uh, Cavalier Genevieve Cigars. Uh, while we still continue that discussion, we're going to do a review of peterson deluxe mixture pipe tobacco that's what we're smoking right now um from the tin it says this uh black cavendish aromatic is a selection of matured virginia tobaccos from brazil and africa blended with a loose cut mellow black cavendish tasteful flavor consisting of vanilla walnut and honey has been added it's manufactured by scandinavian tobacco group it's basically an aromatic pipe tobacco uh, and uh, they do add vanilla honey and walnut to it it's a ribbon cut tobacco this is uh, uh i know that uh, scandinavian is has co-opted dunhill's old brands and branded them under peterson which they bought several years ago in 2018 this however has been one of peterson's own blends for a very long time we're still drinking the uh, corazon with this and um uh brian are you still there i am i am and i'm a pipe smoker too guys i just scored my first pipe from Briarworks in oh nice in tennessee yeah what'd you get yeah um one of the moonshine ones mm -hmm. um pete pete from uh Briarworks yeah was, he's at every yeah. trade show mm -hmm. and every Every trade show, I'd say to him, look, I know you don't sell out of pipes when you come to the show. Uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But if you have anything left, just bring it over. I'll pay you for one. I want one of your pipes. Mm. It took me three years for him to finally <laughs> show up and go, here, man, this is what I've got left. Pick one. And I'm like, no, you pick one for me. You're the pipe maker. And uh, so I'm, I couldn't be more thrilled. It's amazing. That's awesome. That's a, what do you like to smoke in it? Or do you just uh, take some of your uh, Cavaliers and chop them up and throw them in there? So, <laughs> believe it or not, I do save my clippings from my cigars and I do chop them up. 
Um, which, but I'm a Virginian Burley type of guy. Um, so that's, that's me all day long. Mm. Um, and, uh, I, I found one, I found one tobacco that I, uh, one pipe blend that I love. And I went into a shop and the guy goes, come on out back with me. And he's mixing, he blends it himself in a cement mixer. So I was like, <laughs> what? Oh, I, I mean, how could, how could you not like automatically want to buy some tobacco from pipe tobacco from this guy? But that's how much he goes through because he has to mix it in that kind of volume Good that guy. he blends it in, in a, in a, in a cement mixer. It was really freaking cool. <laughs> uh, I trust it was a clean cement, cement mixer. <laughs> oh yeah it was clean but here's the thing i love about pipes and people ask me you know, you know like i didn't know you smoked a pipe the 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 process of smoking a pipe like to, cigars just feed the madness right mm -hmm. you can cut a cigar light it and go right like i'm driving my car i'm smoking a, a cigar pipe i have to sit i have to be still mm -hmm. preferably alone leave me alone when i'm smoking my pipe and I, I just love that aspect of pipe smoking. I think it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, what, um, you know, we were just talking before the break about how, you know, you, you took this leadership position at, at Cavalier, taking on, you know, heading up both U.S. and international sales. What are some of the things you look for in the people who you work with who are brokers who are on your sales force? What are some of the the qualities that you think are necessary for working in today's market? That is a really great question. Phenomenal question. I'm so glad you asked it. One of the challenges of using brokers, because we're not big enough to have our own dedicated sales force yet, right? Um, someday maybe we'll get there. I don't know. But what I look for is, and what you is really a difficult task, is to create a culture around your brand, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we have a, a, a duality to our brand. We have classic elegance, and we also have a street side to us, right? Um you know, we're all kind of just, you know, we, we fit in best kicking it around in Dan Lee uh, uh, eating street food, right? That's that's who we really are. So um, when, when I look for a broker, my number one quality that I look for in people is can I trust them, right? Mm -hmm. Do I do I have a high level of trust for them? Will I be able to sleep at night? Because I took on a leadership role, not a management role, right? I don't micromanage people. So the number one quality that I have to have is I have to trust them. And then do they fit the culture of our brand? Mm -hmm. And for example, Nick Goss, he fits the culture of our brand. Mm. Um, you know, I love the fact that when you walk in, people will go, you're the Cavalier guy, right? Because mm -hmm. he fits us that well. So I, I look for for qualities that are, are trust. And then I look for their passion in what we're doing. Because really, at the end of the day, and I know that word gets used a lot, yeah. passionate, we're passionate, we have passion. In reality, if you're not 
part of this cigar community, you're not going to survive very, very long because it's such a small world. It's mm-hmm. so, um, it's just amazing how you, you, like your shop, for example, I can be in California and talk about your shop and people know where I'm talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's how small the world is. Right. Um, so I really trust is the number one thing. And then how do they fit? And I don't necessarily like people that hard sell because I believe, especially in this industry, if you're hard selling somebody, they're probably not the right fit for your brand anyway, right? So you're going to both be set up for failure. I like people that can go in, explain the story, articulate what, what it is we're doing, share the vision, share where we're going and partner with the right people. Can they build those relationships beyond transactional type uh, uh, activities? Mm. That gets right back to what you were saying. You liked about the uh, European market and the trade shows out there. Nick is very good at building relationships. Um, That's for sure. He kind of sets himself apart that way. Bring in, uh, uh, weird unique goss gifts around christmas time (laughs) it's amazing like shops have shrines to him they have prayer (laughs) candles calendars um i I mean i showed up when i just saw you recently i showed up at the airport i landed i had a goss button on you know (laughs) it's like he's i mean he's he's the kind of person that if i could build around guys like that which we have we're very fortunate at cavalier we have the most amazing brokers and i have utmost respect for what they do it's not an easy job people think being a cigar broker or a cigar salesman or anything to do with the cigar industry they they only see the fun side of it they don't see that this really is hard work you know oh definitely what's uh What's one of the uh, challenges that you have working with not only a diverse group, you know, in the States, but, but in 30 other countries as well? How do you, yeah, how do well, you luckily, keep all that together? Luckily, luckily Sebastian speaks five languages. Um, so that helps. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's, it's really impressive too, to see, like we were on a call with our German distributor and we decided the call would be in English since that was common ground for everybody on it. But then we got stuck. So Sebastian and the distributor started speaking German. He turned around to his wife, translated in Spanish because she's from Dan Lee, turned around to me, translated in English, and then <laughs> talked to another guy in French. And I'm like, do you realize what you just did? Like, that's amazing, you know? So the challenge, the challenge of doing business internationally is, um, you have to find people that are going to also represent you the way you want to be represented. And that takes a little bit of, of, of weeding out. We were very fortunate on that front as well. Um, we have great people that we work with mm. and that's really the key, right? Surround yourself with great people. The rest is easy after that. Right. What are the uh, market trends in like internationally and how do they compare or differ from the States? So that's, it's interesting because 
what what's happening now that a younger generation is starting to smoke cigars they don't want to smoke what their uncles and fathers smoke so they're looking for that medium to medium full depth of flavor um as opposed to what they grew up around the cuban market which you know they're they're great cigars but they all have that mild to medium kind of profile very very delicate flavors not real deep rich flavors that we can deliver so that's the market trend that we're seeing is the younger crowds the younger generation that's coming in and smoking they have this thirst for knowledge for wanting to know where the tobacco comes from how is it processed why did you blend it this way and they're looking for deep, deep rich flavors which is really amazing to see what's the uh, top selling vitola internationally for us the top selling vitola is our salamon hmm. um by far That's it's the it's the it, it's by far like it's not even close and we do it in the white which you guys smoked and then we also do it in the black too which is a san andreas uh wrapper mm-hmm. we do on, we only do two salamones but those are the biggest by far internationally it's funny because those um figurados you know in the states that's probably the the among the least selling sizes it's more the traditional uh toro robusto the gordo is really picking up speed um but torpedoes figurados uh salamones those you know at twins you know we we have kind of a a weird culture when you consider us in the the rest of the new england you know um uh sphere you know we we're good with lanceros we're good with coronas we're good with figurado cigars but but generally speaking that's not how it works in the states what do you yeah, think, it's what the do you top, think is different top about three, it? right? Yeah. It's top three. It's Robusto, Toro, and uh, 6x60, right, are the top three selling um, SKUs. And then you get pockets of places that do well with Lanceros. We make two of them. Uh, you get places that do um, well with Figurados. Um, you know, the Salomon, I mean, it's, it's an, first of all, it's an amazing cigar. Uh, oh, Hang on one second. I got to restart my car. Um, <laughs> I've been sitting here for so long. It turned off. It's like, you're not going anywhere. Um, but it's, it's really interesting to see. Like I have a friend of mine who has a shop in Phoenix. He has over 70 Lanceros and 70, you know? Yeah. And I didn't even know there were 70 out on the market. Like I go in there and I'm like, Holy shit! I didn't know they made the in Lanceros. I'm a sucker for Lanceros, yeah, right? I, I love Lanceros. I actually introduced my girlfriend in Honduras. She's Honduran. Mm-hmm. I introduced her to cigars, and the Vitola that she gravitated to instantly was the Salomon. Mm. I mean the Lancero. That is her cigar. Like I just video called her a little while ago, and she had a fistful of. Lance Arrows, and I'm like, oh, you went over to the factory, did you? She's like, yeah. <laughs> she smokes all the rejected ones, so. Um, <laughs> oh, that stinks, huh? <laughs> what a horrible thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, uh, 
it's interesting to see it. And, you know, the dynamic of the cigar industry, you can have a shop three miles down the road from yours and sells completely different oh, cigars. So it's really amazing how that works. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so since you're in both markets, both in the States and internationally, I'm kind of curious what your opinion is of like the, the new age of cigars is kind of moving away a little bit from the traditional Cuban sizes. Like, for instance, a Robusto historically is a 48 to 50 gauge by five but now you're seeing robustos that are like 54 gauge by five and a half kind of in the states so what's your opinion on kind of changing the traditional sizes and getting for the most part larger you know i think that's a function of this market right we've seen this kind of move to the larger ring gauges mm -hmm. so you're right i mean robustos can go anywhere from you know now 50 52 even 54 you know and and you know it's it's interesting to see how the sizes have become kind of an interpretive type thing you know <laughs> um it, it's really interesting to see that but i think it's good i think it's healthy i mean there's one there's one vitola that's absolutely dead in in the u.s market and that's the churchill right it's it's like the churchill's gone i mean he, and i asked people that like and i think a lot of it has to do with the younger generation coming in like i asked i don't know if you guys know them from instagram uh they go under the handle smoking with the garcias they're two twin brothers okay and they're probably like 35 ish maybe so i asked them one time like what do you guys smoke and they're like well we smoke um you know pretty much robustos and i said well how about churchill's and they said oh god no because i could smoke two robustos and get a different experience from two different cigars than smoking that one cigar so there's a really interesting take on things so they'd rather smoke you know for example two robustos uh in the course of an evening than sit with like a a Churchill or a double Corona and just have that one experience. Hmm. Do you think that the size increases is more for the kind of aesthetic and, you know, better bang for your buck? Or do you think there's actually kind of a blending intent behind it? Well, you know, every blender blends primarily to the Toro, right? And then, and then you go up or down from there and you tweak the blend accordingly. I just think, this the u.s market has driven the size thing i mean what do we have now in the market what's the biggest one a nine by 90 yeah. i mean this is insane it right is. but um i think nothing. the perception that people get right is that i'm getting way more value for a you know a 54 or 56 versus a lancero right but where we come in and you guys especially in the shop come in is in the education process of you do know in a nine by 90 there's still one wrapper leaf and one binder maybe there's two i don't know i never made anything that big um but there's a whole lot more filler leaves and in a lancero you get more interaction with the wrapper the binder can impart its its flavor profile and then you get a very delicate balance with the fillers and you know i've always thought that the word blend should be replaced with balance because that's really what you're looking for is a balance in the cigar 
Um, so I think the U.S. market has driven the size increase, which for me, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a small ring gauge guy. Um, you know, and now my girlfriend is apparently, uh, thank God. Right. <laughs> do you think that, the, and, uh, oh, you can finish her. Go ahead. But do you think no, that go the, ahead. the Americans kind of drive for the larger ring gauge could be a player in why the filler tobacco is kind of not meeting demand at the moment? Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah, the, the, the U S market, I mean, the bigger ring gauges have become so prominent. Um, but the pressure really coming, um, from the raw material side is the blunt industry is buying up a lot of, um, uh, premium tobacco that would have made it into the cigar market they're the the blunt industry i don't know if you guys have seen them they sell like four natural cigar um leaves to roll your whatever joint i don't smoke pot i'm 30 years sober but apparently they roll up joints in these things and these guys are coming into the farmers and saying we'll take it and they're like how much all of it and we'll pay you a 25% premium over and above what you could sell it to the cigar industry for. And, and how can you blame a farmer for, for agreeing sure. to that? Right. Yeah. I mean, they're like, sure. So I think the pressure is coming from a lot of things, the bigger ring gauges for sure. A little bit of the blunt industry putting pressure and they're using big leaves like Connecticut broadleaf, those big leaves, cause they can cut between the veins and use those for their, um blunt wrapper leaves wow who would have thought um before we get into some more cigar talk here what are, what are we thinking of the uh deluxe mixture here this is the first um kind of true aromatic we've had on the show in a while mm -hmm. um dave what do you think it's far i i can't believe it's actually an aromatic it's so like this is definitely not in your face yeah you know, I mean, but the vanillas are there, the walnuts are there. Um, it's creamy, it's smooth, it's you know, it's got a lot of it going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it goes great with the tequila too. Mm -hmm. The honey and the the honey topping and and even the walnut, I think, really kind of pull out the the sweetness and the, you know, the tequila. In, in the tequila. Mm -hmm. I I think it's a very good pairing. Pat, what about yourself? Yeah, I mean, once you let the pipe tobacco up, like, you got, like, a really nice, like, subtle van vanilla note to it. There was, like, that kind of nuttiness to it, the creaminess, a little bit of that honey. And then, honestly, the best part of the pairing is that I think the pipe tobacco is kind of putting that van vanilla note in with that honey sweetness from the tequila that yeah. I was getting yep. from the cigar. So, and then halfway through the bowl now, like, it's getting a nice kind of... Is there any perique in this? No. I'm trying to think of where the spice is coming from. I'm getting like that, uh, I would kind of say like a kind of subtle Perique kind of spice to it. It's mm. kind of like what the sensation reminds me of, but it's like, it's not overbearing. Some of the Virginias might be doing that, yeah. So it gives you like that nice sensation on the retro hill. Mm -hmm. It's very nice. If you smoke the glass, um, it's really interesting what it does to the tequila. It's very, very good. Um, so the... Uh, next question for you um what do you like to do in your 
downtime, man, besides being on podcasts, sitting in your car outside of smoke shops that you're trying to visit? <laughs> I love to hike in the mountains. Um, you know, you know I... <laughs> that's too bad you're living in Florida then, man. I think the highest point yeah. is Mount Dora, and that's 300 feet above sea level. Yeah, no, it's the garbage fill. It's the landfills, the highest mountain. So that's why Honduras is amazing for me because mm. Dan Lee is surrounded by, I can't remember uh, whether it's 42 hills or 81 hills. I can't remember. Um, but I, when I'm not working, I go hiking in the mountains. Uh, in, in Well, they're not mountains. They're hills kind of, but they're, they're, right. pretty, they're pretty decent. Um, uh, hikes in in Honduras and uh, mm -hmm. the 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 landscape is so rich and green because it rains a lot. Um, right. But I'm I'm an in the mountain guys. I love to hunt and fly fish. Mm. And um, yeah, I didn't draw any tags this year, so mm. there'll be no hunting for me. Uh, my kid didn't draw any either, so there's no hunting for us and. Uh, that that hurts a little bit, um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm an outdoorsy kind of guy. I, I, you know, I only stay in Florida. Like I literally got back from Colorado on Sunday, and I'm leaving tomorrow. So, I mean, do I live in Florida? I don't know. I mean, some of my stuff is here. Does that <laughs> kind of make sense? I mean, I, like I'll leave now on. Uh, tomorrow and i won't get back here until the second of october wow you'll be gone that long yeah i go to honduras and then i go straight to dortmund and then i come back to miami somewhere around the second of october mm. and then i leave on the third so i mean i don't know miami i mean i i like florida i'm i just you know like you said it's tough to be a guy who loves the outdoors yeah. And living in Florida, because like in the summer, you can't go outside. It's right, ridiculous. Right. right. Um, you know, one of the segments we like to do on the show is Pastor Padron Cigar Confessions. And uh, what's what's one of your cigar smoking pet peeves as you go all over the place and you, you know, listen to your brokers talk from all over the world? What, what's something that you really wish people would start doing or stop doing? as they're smoking cigars so that they can enjoy their experience more. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because since you guys are smoking pipes um, <laughs> right now, um, I, I've always had this thing about why do pipe smokers know their blends so well, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I've, I've never met a pipe smoker that can't tell you what's, in the blend that he smokes that's but the majority true. that's true. majority of the yeah yeah the majority of cigar smokers they pretty much know the wrappers right mm -hmm. like people know they're smoking a maduro a san andreas maduro a connecticut a habano um a corojo they know they know their wrappers really well cigar smokers but they don't know beyond the wrapper and 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 i always i wish and I think it's partly our fault from an educational standpoint, mm. because people will ask me, you know, about the cigar and I'll tell them, you know, binder wrapper and some filler. But um, 
more often than not, I'll just tell people the wrapper because that's what they're looking for, right? They, they, I only smoke Maduros or San Andreas Maduro. I only smoke Habanos or, or I, I'm a Connecticut guy. But pipe smokers go so much deeper, and I, I just don't know whether it's the packaging because you just read off the tin what was in there, mm-hmm. right? How many cigar boxes tell you beyond what the wrapper is, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it really doesn't. I think a lot of pipe you know, tobacco manufacturers are more transparent about what's in the blend as well. You uh, say that again? I feel like like pipe tobacco manufacturers are more transparent as to what's in the tin opposed to cigar manufacturers. A hundred percent. I mean, take Dominican tobacco for a, uh, for for example. Um, nothing against Dominican tobacco, but try to tell me what the name of a Dominican tobacco is. It probably has 10 different names. Like I was talking to somebody they're like, yeah, I'm buying this Cremoso or whatever and a Cromelo or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I never heard that term before, you know? And it's like, you can just make up some names. So I think we have a little bit of that problem going on, but I think you're right. I think pipe has always been pipe tobacco has been very transparent. They put it on the packaging. They tell you what's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I gave guy a guy props the other day. He had one Q on the shelf and he called it one Q and I'm like, <laughs> good for you, man. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. like, good good for you dude that's you know one q right i mean but how many different names does one q have across oh the my country gosh. yeah thousands you know thousands even at, even at twins we don't call it one q we call it granite state mm-hmm. i mean and the guys at lane they don't even know what the one q stands for <laughs> i asked i, I asked i asked I, them what 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 does it mean one q nobody knows nobody it's been lost they nobody knows what the one q stands for but it's been the best-selling mm-hmm. aromatic on the planet for almost 50 years. Right. And when I saw it on the shelf as 1Q, I'm like, good for you, dude. Yeah. I'm really proud of you. That's really I'm cool. really, really proud of I you. I only know one other shop in the United States that, not that I've been everywhere, but I only know one other shop then that calls it 1Q. Most people rename yeah. it. Because who wants to buy 1Q? <laughs> what, does that, what does that mean? Right. So to answer your question, my pet peeve is, is I wish we would go beyond the wrapper, right? I don't know whether that should be a tagline or whatever, or somebody needs to start a podcast and call it beyond the wrapper and really dissect the cigar. Um, You know, a lot of people, a lot of cigar smokers don't realize there's three basic components to your cigar, right? There's a a filler binder and wrapper. And what are the functions of those and and how, how does it how does your experience change? Mm. And, you know, like one of the neatest things I've ever heard Dion explain was like, when you make a hamburger, if you put the pickles on the bun, the burger, the cheese, the lettuce and the tomato. And then if you reverse the order, your burger experience is going to be totally different. Well, the same thing with a cigar blend, Mm. you reverse a couple of leaves in the filler. It's going to change the way that cigar, um, uh the flavor profile so i just wish people would go a little deeper into the educational part of it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and know a little bit more than because you have a certain group of people that smoke the band right like right. okay this is a really pretty band and 
you know, or I recognize this name. Yeah. And cigars are all about a journey. Like the last thing we ask as a manufacturer and and the last thing we would ever ask is that you only smoke Cavalier. Mm. When somebody tells me I only smoke your cigars, it kind of makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up if I have hair. Um, (laughs) uh, And 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 I I say, look, man, cigar smoking is a journey, it's much mm-hmm. like pipe smoking, mm-hmm. but a pipe smokers kind of get boom, they get stuck on a blend, and that's what they smoke. And yeah. I respect that. But cigars, if you're not participating in the journey, um, especially today, there's so many great cigars out there. Um, you know, like at Rocky Mountain, I bought a box of Nick uh, Foundation's new release, yeah, Olenek. Um, great, I bought cigar. a box of it. Great cigar, I great bought the Claro. Yeah, um, and um, you know, the last thing we would ever ask anybody is only smoke our brand. All we ask is that you make us part of your rotation and visit us every once in a while on your journey. Mm. Um, and that's what I wish more people would mm. would do, you know, is is really expand their horizons and and see more things because we do it. I mean, like I said, I bought a box of Nick's cigars and he's like, seriously? I'm like, yeah, dude, I want to smoke it. Of course, I gave half the box away, but (laughs) I can't be seen with this Cavalier guy. No, 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 it wasn't that. It's just that's what happens, right? People were like, oh, what do you got there? I'm like, here, try one, you know, I mean, because that's just how this industry is, right? Mm. Which is amazing, right? When you think about it. Because if I just was sitting in a lounge with you and I handed you 12 bucks and said, here, you'd look at me like, what the hell am I going to do? But if I hand you a cigar and say, here, try this, and it's a $12 cigar, you go, oh, thank you. And here, here's one of mine. Try this. You know, that's the beautiful thing Mm -hmm. about this industry. Very, very true. And, you know, it's interesting as we're talking about this, you know, how, how, you know, it's, it's not like with, with, you know, pipe tobacco blends they're not getting into you know what priming or what year what the technical you know name of the the leaf actually is but they are getting into where it's from what kind of blend and and when you talk about a cigar wrapper dominican filler dominican binder dominican that doesn't really tell you anything about what kind of tobacco is being used you know, in the cigar. And, and the more I think about it, the more I think that's true, that, that, uh, y- you know, you could probably get a little bit more, you know, um, accurate about what kind of stuff is in there and, and still not be given away trade secrets or, or things about what's in a cigar. I, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And, and if you look at things that have popped up recently in this industry that have been uber uber successful it's the people that tell the story behind the cigar the why behind the cigar like why why did we choose this like for example in our viso jalapa we picked a criollo that we we fermented from the day we opened the factory uh we finished the process and we did it really slow kept the temperature right at about a hundred degrees. We didn't let it go over and we basically cooked it low and slow, like you would a brisket or, mm-hmm. or, 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 or ribs on a, in a smoker. Right. And, um, 
you know, I wish, I wish we had a venue to be able to tell more of what it is. We're oftentimes moving so quickly. Um, even at an event, somebody will come up and you have like a minute and a half with that person. You don't get to tell that much. So you bullet point it and you get, get your message out that way. But the things that have come up where they've told the story behind what's in the cigar, where there are, have been uber successful. It's been amazing to watch. And I think as the younger generation adopts our industry, we're going to have to do more of that. Yeah. Because um, the, the younger consumers want to know. They, they, they want to know where their craft beers were made. They want to know you know, where their wines, where their spirits, um, and they want to know the process you know, cig- behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And cigars are the same thing for them. You know, I mean, I see my 22 year old son, he's a cigar smoker. My 28 year old isn't, but my 22 year old son, he wants to know everything. Like, mm. like where did, what field did this grow in? Where's, where is it? What's the terrain like? You know, like I talked to him about the Jalapa growing region in Nicaragua, and he's like, next thing you know, he's Googling Jalapa. And that's the thing is there's so much information at our fingertips now. All we have to do is give the right little breadcrumbs to lead people where we want them to go, you know. And I think that's really cool as the younger generation comes in. And we need that, right? We need the younger generation. We need people 40 and below. It can't be just a bunch of 50-plus-year-old men smoking cigars. It's not healthy for the industry. We need the younger generation. We need women. We need the industry to, to adopt women not women to adopt our industry we need a Mm. but the last thing we need is somebody to make a cigar that's like virginia slims where it's targeted market to women no that's a huge mistake you know yeah just keep doing what you're doing just adopt them as part of the culture and we've done a really good job of it and it's been amazing what's what's one of the weirdest wackiest things you've ever seen in a cigar shop that you've walked into oh i took some i saw somebody take a shit behind a zycar case in, in california <laughs> i almost thought he was gonna say Florida. <laughs> it's really interesting to me how quickly you were able to answer that question <laughs> well that, that was the first weirdest thing and then the second thing was also in california not to pick on california but um, they decriminalize theft under a thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they so I actually theft was under a thousand dollars. Wow, that's brilliant. <laughs> under a thousand dollars. So I actually saw a guy walk into a cigar shop, check the box price, put it under his arm, walk right out, and I I, I looked at the owner and I said, "What the hell was it?" that like what just happened you know like it was more mind-boggling than the guy than the homeless guy taking a shit behind the zycard display <laughs> like i was like more baffled than i i was like okay i get it you're homeless you need it you gotta go you gotta go right yeah, like yeah okay i get it um but the guy just stealing a box of cigars was like okay you're not gonna do anything he's like i can't it's a cost of doing business and i'm like that's bizarre okay like I started doing inventory of all my shit at that point. Like, do I still have it? (laughs) Oh my gosh. 
Oh my yeah. gosh. Pat, do you have any more uh, yeah. questions? We're coming up near the end of the show. Are you sure you're you're done? Yeah. No further questions. No further questions. <laughs> no more on, questions Pat. for this give, witness. Give me one more for the road, <laughs> baby. Come on, come up with something. Um does um i don't know if i don't think he asked this does sebastian blend for his palette or does he blend for market trends that's a oh, i love question. it i, I love it so the white that. series that you smoked right there mm -hmm. was for his palette right um grew up in switzerland around cuban cigars that cigar does have um you know very cuban characteristics to it and then as he's evolved as a blender he's become more in tune to the markets and like for example maduro was really hard for him to work with mm. um and so when he created the black two line and the usa line it was in the san andreas maduro wrapper uh it was a challenge for him because it took him outside of his comfort zone and then now um you know he's really growing as a blender and what i love to see is you know as a 30 year old kid what's he going to be doing when he's 40 45 it's going to be amazing to watch that evolution i keep telling people he's going to be making cigars when i'm dirt you know um <laughs> so uh but it's it's fun to watch um it's it's great to see how he pays attention to every little detail of what he's doing. He's very detail oriented, you know, where I'm, I'm a more move fast, break shit, fix it, keep going kind of a guy. He's very methodical in what he does. Mm. And it's really cool to watch that, that process. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's fun to watch. Um, what's our final verdict here on the uh, Peterson deluxe mixture? pat i enjoyed it that like nice like again like it's an aromatic but it wasn't mm -hmm. really like an aggressive aromatic like it right. was sweet but it wasn't overbearingly sweet like that van vanilla note i think really complemented the drink and mm -hmm. a lot of the aromatics i've had can kind of make or break a pairing but this one mm -hmm. really kind of enhanced the tequila so you liked you liked the pairing you liked how it worked yep. mm. would you smoke it again i'm usually an english guy but you know it's I there's other aromatics I've had that I would have had a quicker no, but this one would be something that I would consider having again. Okay, that's fair, Dave. It's got to be my favorite aromatic, mm. so I'm not a big aromatic person at all. But yeah, I would smoke this again. I enjoyed the pairing very much. I thought um, they both, you know, the the smoke, uh, the tobacco brought a, a lot of the sweetness out of the tequila. The tequila mm. brought more of the vanilla forward in the, in the smoke um it was very complimentary it's really nice uh which would you guys rather ha would you rather do the cigar pairing or the pipe pairing again pipe pipe pairing mm. why the pipe pairing so i just think that that vanilla played into the tequila better it really did make the tequila delicious yep when I, I smoked the glass several times. I'm sure you all saw me. Mm -hmm. but, uh, I really enjoyed how the smoke interacted with the, with the alcohol there. You agree, Dave? Yes, I agree. I would definitely do the pipe pairing again mm -hmm. first. It'd be interesting if we could see you try and smoke a milkshake there. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of these times when I'm on here, I'm going to be able to um, 
smell the the spirit that you have because I become the master at smelling spirits, right? <laughs> like I, I'm young, I'm 30 years in, so I I can do that. It doesn't trigger me to where I want to go like on a five day or ten day or a thirty day or a ninety day bender. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it I can smell the spirits and. Um, I, one of these times, cause like every time you guys talk about it, I'm like, Oh my God, like, I wish I could just smell it. So yeah. we need to coordinate it better next time so that I, I can have the spirit that you're, that you're drinking so I can smell it, do the pairing that way. Cause you know, really when you think about it, you don't need to taste it. You smell everything, right? right. You only taste what, five or six things. You really what we what we really talk about is what we're smelling, what we're experiencing in the mm-hmm. in the olfactory, you know, I mean, is mm-hmm. is really what we're talking about. So one of these days I'm going to get to do that. It's on my bucket list now. God, <laughs> we'll have you to guys have something on my bucket live. list now. We'll yeah. have to have you actually in studio with us. That would be a great way to do it. Yeah, let's do that. I mean, I I really, like I said, it's on my bucket list now, so I'm going to hound you. Because the last time I was on, you guys had some Caribbean-flavored... Oh, the uh, Caribbean cast. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I I was like, oh, my God, I just want to smell this, right? Like, I don't even (laughs) want to drink it. I just want to smell it, you know, and, and, and do the pairing. But... You know, the milkshake thing, guys, check it out because it's really a cool, different spin on it. And what you can do is you can make, for those of you that didn't abuse the privilege like I did, you can make adult milkshakes and (laughs) and further enhance the experience that you're having. Mm -hmm. Nice. That would be really cool. We could could do that. Yep. I remember, you know, um, there was this... uh, great place my wife and i used to uh, go to when we were dating that's 30 something years ago now uh in newburyport called the grog mm-hmm. and uh they I, i'm sure that it's still there and i'm sure they still make it but they made these uh mudslides frozen mudslides with haagen ice cream and you know i remember you know mandy would have one then another then another and then you know feel fine and then she'd try and stand up and sit right back down <laughs> and she just looked at me she says i know why they call this a mudslide now that's <laughs> like how i feel i just started laughing <laughs> but uh yeah it's good stuff yeah we'll, we'll have to work out a time when you're in town and and we can do something live with you that would be fantastic mm-hmm. oh that would be amazing that would be amazing because you've you've teased me twice now and it's like, oh my God, I just want to, <laughs> like, like, like when Pat was talking about how the vanilla enhanced the tequila, I'm like, you know, guys, I'm three, I'm like, I'm like 3000 miles away, or I don't even know how far it is, 2400. Um, and, and I have to envision what that's like, right? Like I, yeah, yeah I'm going to lose sleep tonight, but that's okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Brian. Thank you for sitting in your car as long as you have. We really appreciate uh, it. It's it's been thanks. great, great having you on the show again. Thank you so much. You don't you don't know how much it means to me, and I'm very grateful to 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 be here. And uh, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, that's awesome. We're you know glad to have you on the show. 
Um, next week, we're going to be looking at uh, um, the black, uh, black label cigar companies, Barron's Blend, uh, Corona, and we're going to be looking at Cornell and Deal's 2022 release of Carolina Red Flake. Oh, God, yes. And uh, that's something that a lot of people have been looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is the black label uh, Barron's Blend. I haven't had one yet, but the cigars look fantastic. The label, that the red and black on the label looks fantastic. So we're excited Sweet. about that next week. Nice. Um, so, Brian, thanks again for being with us. Thank you, Brian. Thank you so much. And uh, smoke gold, stay gold, guys. <laughs> I don't think that's a problem. We all enjoy the cigar, yes, right? Yep. yep. Very, very good cigar. We enjoyed it. And I can look at in my ashes, and there's the there's the gold flake there's right gold, there. Yeah. It did not burn away. Nope. It's still there. So you're not smoking gold. It's You're smoking, and there, there's gold left over <laughs> that you can then put into your retirement portfolio. Yes. <laughs> we actually have a shop in Phoenix that they have a special ashtray just for the gold ash. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, everybody. That's all the time we have tonight. We'll see you next Tuesday at 8 o'clock. Don't be late. We'll be with you then. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Bye-bye, guys. You've been listening to Not Just Blowing Smoke. The podcast that brings the wealth of knowledge, expertise, and fun of Twins Smoke Shop, New England's premier smoke shop, right to you, wherever you are, whenever you want it. You can find us at our website, notjustblowingsmoke.com, and keep in touch with us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at NotJustBlowingSmoke. Thanks for listening, everybody, and that is Not Just Blowing Smoke.